Welcome to Constructing Mindsets, discussing the building blocks of our mental health. This month, we're welcoming Joe Miller, a senior project manager in infrastructure and an engineer by background, who's here to share his experience of dealing with stressful working loads, pressure to perform and highly demanding work environments, how it manifests in your mental health and how you can break the cycle. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you. <laughs> so, well, let's start at the beginning. Um, sorry, where did your journey and experiences with mental health originate, and particularly mental health around stressful working environments? When I graduated about 10 years ago, my first job was on a fairly large um, construction site. Um, it was, I was on a, a major programme uh, for a water company and I was on a site that was worth about £10 million and um, there was about three or four of us and, um, engineers on it, some doing tunnelling, um, I was doing concreting works and things like that. It was it was a very, very busy environment. So I was doing 12-hour shifts, 7 till 7, and, you know, time either side of that um, in a general working week and then quite often Saturday mornings. So it was a very, very intense time to very intense um, experience to start your career in I would say yeah um, before I before I joined the um, the role actually my uh, somebody who was managing me on a on a summer placement before said that I was a little bit too soft for sight were the words that they used and I was I didn't care what they were saying I just thought no if, if that's the case then I need to find out for myself and I need to learn what it's going to be what it's going to be like and how I'm going to respond to it but a part of me thinks that there was a, a an ounce of truth in, in what they said there. I am a little bit, or I have been in the past, um, quite a little bit more sensitive than possibly some of the people around me. And I think the um, the constant pressure of daily getting tasks done, getting ready for your next like concrete pour, and like every day counting and every day having a similar level of high pressure was certainly noticeable for me. Um, I was making a lot of decisions that were costing the business money, whether they went well or they didn't, and um, any errors I was making were going to have some sort of implications. Unfortunately, I did make a few when I was first starting out. And I think on on sites as well, with the whole process of being a new person into that environment, and I think as well, I was. Um, this was the first time that I was really managing people and managing people's behaviours. So I was doing occasional roles, um, covering for the foreman and being in charge of like a gang of a few, um, few different guys. Actually, having to implement a lot of health and safety um, policy to people that weren't that cooperative and sometimes got quite, quite angry back at me. And so I think a lot of that, I had to become a more assertive person in that environment to make sure that I could even cope. It works, you know, it, it did have the desired effect. I did become stronger from it. And, and it, for a time at least, it was actually making me a much better person. So, uh, and that's something you know, I really appreciated actually the growth that was happening there. I mean, that's actually amazing considering you're a graduate and you have all these incredibly high expectations of you in the workplace and needing to achieve things. You have, you need to manage people, you know, underneath you, manage their behaviours, manage their own expectations and their work, making very difficult decisions in a fast paced environment. And then also you've got like the conflict on top of that with people around you. I, I can't even imagine how much that must have felt 
having all of that thrown at you and mixed together in that sort of environment it must have been very very difficult and stressful uh, well i think that anyone who's um started who's done a stint as a construction site on a construction site for a contractor will have had to have dealt with many of those issues if they've come in at um, a graduate level it's quite yeah. it is it is common um how it manifests will is really dependent on the support system you have around you and for me initially when i joined i had two senior engineers who were very supportive kind of insulated me from a lot of the conflicts um would back me up if i was you know trying to get somebody to wear glasses or something that i didn't want to and just kind of make sure that you know i was becoming more comfortable with with all of that yeah it was only when the the senior engineer actually both of the senior engineers left i really started to feel the pressure of all that but by that time i had at least had a good year working with them and learning the ropes of the job yeah absolutely lucy i know you've had a similar experience to this i know not on site in this same sort of environment but in terms of the pressure building up around you from you know individuals in the workplace and those really high expectations that you set yourself within you know fast-paced environments does this resonate with you at all and, and your experience yeah i think although on the podcast that um, that we recorded i was talking about uh, my experiences of being a you know senior project manager so kind of that was coming around kind of eight ten years after graduating i actually started out in the same kind of environment that joe's describing okay. and, uh, and it might have been some of that um some of that uh, you know culture that drove uh, the journey that I had a bit later on you know so I think in terms of resonating that site environment the working hours the, the thing that's driving it is the absolute fine margins that people are working to you know yeah. from a, a finance point of view means there's this need to attribute blame when things go wrong you know from a financial perspective because everybody's like well if I'm liable for that mistake, then I'm not going to make any money on this job. So, uh, you know, th- there's a teamwork element, but uh, as soon as there's a, you know, something has gone wrong, um, there's this need to be like, well, it wasn't me, it was them, you know, and, and lots of, you know, so you're, you're in the team one moment, and then when there's something goes wrong, there's the culture, you know, it comes out. And I think it's really difficult for people that haven't been involved in those kind of activities on site that have like a, a high potential to go wrong. You know, a concrete pour where you've cast the wrong thing in and therefore you can't, you know, build the rest of the structure in the right place and you're going back to having to redesign things or, you know, break stuff out is just horrendous. You know, a crane operation where you've got, you know, a massive kit mobilised to site still work turning up and something is not ready the, the costs of these things going wrong i think it's all laughing there you know <laughs> you, you just have those moments where it's like oh my god <laughs> how are, how are we gonna get out of this one and it, but it is quite addictive because as you said there joe you know during that time you feel like you know you're learning how to be prepared for these experiences you're learning how to make, not make those mistakes, get it right. It's a bit like one of those, you know, SES experiences that you yeah. see on the, on the TV. Yeah. You know, I'm really 
really slogging through it, but I'm getting a lot stronger for the experience. And I think that, that addictive aspect of it is, is interesting as well. Yeah. So it's natural, there'll still be some way to go. It's, it's a really interesting point, actually, because we talk about this sort of belonging and being part of a team. And, you know, there is that that gender point that, that sits within that. You know, that there's Joe, you mentioned it was like a tribal feeling in a way. Um, and I also feel that that belonging and the need to belong as part of a team, it, it's so strong that when we don't get that sense of belonging, that can then result in, you know, mental health issues because we just don't feel connected and we need to feel connected as human beings. And that really takes its toll. So it can be really difficult when you feel, I don't belong here, people don't want me here. Um, it, it's very upsetting. Uh, I don't know if that, for you, Joe, this stress and this pressure and was building up. You've had a year um, in your job. The senior engineers who you were sort of relying on away as your leaders and were giving you some sort of protection from what was going on around you have now stepped away. Was was that the tipping point that you suddenly realised, like, whoa, this is this is too much? Or was there something else that actually triggered how you felt? It's an interesting question there, Hannah. I, and I don't think it's as simple as one factor. Yeah. Um, for me, there's there was actually several things at play at the time. Um, one of them, significant one as well, was that I was in the process of um, I was coming to the end of a, um, a tenancy contract and I was moving out of that tenancy contract into um, basically um, a spare room of a family home. So I've, I've gone from having... So this point you mentioned about belonging, I think really um, hit home from in that perspective more than in my workplace because at the time, in the workplace at least, I was well established. Everyone knew who I was. Um, and you know, I was having actually quite a lot, um, a lot of level of responsibility and feeling very connected there. But on the other hand, at home, I was suddenly in a position where I wasn't with um, anyone my age anymore. I couldn't really have the space to vent yeah. anymore. And the other part about it was that um, I was, I was actually training for a marathon, and I was doing a lot of running in the time that led up to that whole the move and the senior engineer leaving and things. And I had a very good habit of running like four or five times a week. When I came back from having done that training, I was moving house at a very similar time and these guys were moving and, and the place that I moved to, I couldn't keep the same habit. One, I was tired from having run an incredibly long way on the marathon and needed a bit of time to recover. But at the same time, the place that I was living didn't provide me with the same like outdoor space that helped me enjoy that experience as well. Those home life factors um, actually had a, a really big impact on my ability to cope in the job. I think the combination of all three, not having the not having the support, um, not having not having a stable home environment as per se, and um, and also not having some of those habits that were keeping me sane, kind of made the whole house of cards um, fall over a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Louise, does that? resonate with you from what you hear as a mental health first aider from people that do find you know it can be something about their home environment or their work environment or indeed you know their a relationship breakdown that causes issues like this and, and results in that pressure just being too much and then needing to do something about it yeah absolutely so I think that's something we forget when we're in the workplace is that everyone still has a personal life mm. and whilst 
we might all think we're great at turning off one and turning on the other and then going home, this is the one where people are a bit more aware it's hard to turn off the work life when you're trying to have a personal life, but they are interlinked. Um, so someone might not be performing at work because something going on at home or vice versa, someone might be doing great at work, flying through it and it's causing a lot of stress that they're not showing in the workplace, but that may then manifest itself in their personal life. So just because something's happening in your personal life, it doesn't mean it's not going to affect your professional life and vice versa. Um, so it's really important to try and have those connections, like you say, having that support network, having people you can trust and having people you can talk to in the workplace, because maybe then you have someone you can open up to about, about that personal side as well. Um, and I very much understand that people like to keep private and professional separate um, and that's completely normal but at the same time when it does start creeping into the other one it's sometimes helpful to just share that you know what today's an off day because there's something going on at home and I've kind of told you and move forwards that way um, rather than trying to bottle it up and pretend what's happening at home isn't affecting your day to day because we all have a stress bucket we can all take a certain amount of stress and that stress bucket doesn't distinguish where the stress is coming from mm. it's how much we're resilient to overall it doesn't go here's my work stress bucket and here's my home stress bucket and they're two completely separate things it is all very much intertwined so yes work might only be topping it up by a tiny fraction at a time but if home is overflowing then that's going to manifest in the workplace as well yeah absolutely i think it's really important to remember that that there are so many different environments that we are part of that if one of those breaks down or becomes difficult it impacts upon the other environments that we're part of and they're not always visible those invisible relationships environments that we're part of that work don't see and our colleagues don't see um it's really difficult to manage that and provide the visibility to people because you won't often share that information with people you know you like to keep that private um, but that takes its toll on your emotion, your stress levels um, and everything that comes with it. So, Joe, what did that manifest itself in for you as a sort of a coping mechanism at, at the start? Well, um, the first time I knew that there was a problem was actually before the house move um, and things. Okay. I think it was just after my site engineer, my senior engineer had left. And I remember it so clearly. Um, I was in um, on the site one day and I had to have a conversation with um, one of the operatives for not wearing his glasses and I, he was obviously in a really stressful situation about his workload and probably who knows what else and he was just completely red in the face and glared at me. He had a, a point of a couple of things that I wasn't doing but I just like, couldn't take it at that point. I, had, I went back, I sort of left the the situation went back to the site office, told my foreman about it and was just just a wreck for the rest of the day and I think the anxiety was just constantly present at that point and I I just couldn't cope anymore. I ended up very quickly looking for a new job and um, without even discussing with my construction manager um, I just sort of, I just, I had the job, secured the job, handed in my notice. I took a really big pay cut to um, to do that, but it got to the point where just money wasn't in, uh, that important to me anymore. I had to strike that balance and, and get back to something that was going to be like a normal working life. And yeah, I moved to London, 
it took a bit of time for me to settle down. Yeah, eventually I sort of came back into a bit more of a um, a normal existence, reconnected with, like I was saying before, like places that I like to go running, started practicing mindfulness, meditation and things and really started to heal my emotions from that. Yeah, I mean, number one, it's very brave of you going through that, that you you immediately decided to remove yourself from the situation. You know, you quit your job, you found something else, and actually you made quite a lot of what I see as big life changes. You know, you got a new job and you moved to London, which actually going through something so stressful um, is very difficult to do. So, you know, kudos to you that you were brave and you acted upon it immediately and did something about it because it is very difficult to realise I'm in a bad situation for me, I should remove myself for it. Yeah, and I think it, you know, it, it forms some of the strongest moments that you can look back on and you can be really proud of. Jo, what, what did you do to help pick yourself back up again? I mean, you mentioned running, obviously a big thing for you and getting, getting back into that was important. Um, I know you're into yoga and, you know, affirmations as well, which I'd really like to discuss because I don't feel like I know much about affirmations at all, but I have heard of people using them and find them a really powerful tool. So what were those things which you started to use to help pick yourself back up again? And what do you, I guess, what do you still use now that you find that that really helps you? Uh, Yeah, well, it's funny, actually, the affirmations point, I first learned about when I was training for the marathon oh, wow. um, it was, I was reading I was reading a, a running um, blog and the guy said if you're going to be on your own in an isolate that kind of isolated environment for like four hours or more it can play a lot of tricks on your mind so one of the best things that you can do as you're training is to start building up positive affirmation about the um, about what you're going through so mm-hmm. um there was a few, like, just saying things to yourself so that you don't doubt how everything's going on, like if your body's starting to ache a bit, but actually you're still fine. Like, just convincing yourself to really what affirmations are, just reconvincing yourself that nothing is wrong and you can keep going. I think um, one thing that I've learned from practicing yoga is the, the study that I've, I've done in, in yoga is um, around the mind and how the mind... They say, they say the mind is a miser, is a um, common saying from, from yoga, yoga wisdom. And, and it's really true that if you're, if you're improving and you're, you know, you're getting better at things, there's quite a lot of doubt in your mind as you're breaking new grounds and like stepping into the unknown. Um, and if you can retrain your mind to think more positively about that experience, and that's what that's what affirmation does you're saying things to yourself that that retrain your mind to to have a positive experience out of you know something unexpected i mean i've studied about um change management um in in the working environment more recently and that whole mind's process that you go through can be smoothed through um just this reprogramming so i actually didn't use affirmations for quite a long time after that reboot growing I've grown I've done quite a lot of um, fairly rapid career progression in the past couple of years and that's been quite stressful mm. um, and having framing it around um, me being worthy of that change worthy of 
of that improvement worthy of the opportunities that have come to me rather than like telling myself that oh actually maybe I'm not good enough for that thing that really changes how you approach the problem and it, it turns you from like there's a, an interesting question you, you start you stop looking at what's wrong with what you're doing and you start looking at problem solving about how can I get around this how can I be more proactive mm. um, yeah I mean you raise so many interesting points there um first of all you know that's this reframing how we think by using positive affirmations and I guess it becomes self-fulfilling because you know you're giving yourself these positive affirmations it changes your mindset and then you know because of that you self-fulfill that prophecy in a way um because you know that oh, actually I am capable of this and you start believing in it and I think that's what's really powerful about affirmations is that just by saying things out loud and believing in it yourself you can actually really change your whole mindset and then your achievements from that and there's I guess a really good book by Carol Sweck which is about the growth mindset and you might have you might have read it but it's all about you know a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset and it's it's very similar to what you're talking about there that when you go from a fixed uh, mindset to a growth mindset you're actually looking at the positives and how you embrace them and not seeing everything as a blocker, but seeing things as, okay, this is a challenge. I'm going to get around this. How do I approach it? Um, I, I just think that's really interesting and, and really powerful. And the second thing you mentioned, you know, you put all of these different things in place to help yourself get through this difficult period in time. And those become habits. And you've got a structure of habits that are in place that you use and you can rely on that you know will keep your mind healthy and you know there might be actually related to physical exercise but that also means that mentally you know you are happy you are calm you feel fulfilled so those two things for me um you know re- they really resonate with me actually and and how I work and my mindset um and at Louise I don't know if these sort of things you've seen come up before and I know that you you do dance which you know really helps you and in, in a mental state and does this habit structure resonate with you and also this reframing of how we think? Yeah, certainly. So uh, on our last podcast, I talked about kind of power of positive thinking with depression, especially for every negative you think, try and think of the positive even if you don't believe it and then eventually you start believing it. And it's quite similar with the affirmation thing. If you're telling yourself you can do it, at first it might feel a bit strange um, and it might feel a bit like, why am I, why am I saying this to myself? Uh, but when you can break through that barrier, it can really help kind of refocus the mindset. So that's that's really interesting and it very much is the power of positive thinking um, and, and it can manifest itself. And then with the kind of structure of habits you mentioned to rely on, it, we, we are creatures of habit, even the more spontaneous people I know do still have a routine in their life and we've touched on this in previous podcasts about going into kind of lockdown and being at home and all our routines got kind of thrown up in the air and they landed in all sorts of places but by building in these kind of key things that keep your mind stable and keep you positive and in a good place really do benefit and now that might be a flexible structure in the sense that I'm going to fit yoga into my day tomorrow but it doesn't matter whether it's before or after work it could be very flexible but you do it at some stage or it could be very rigid that no I need an hour before work to, to fix it and 
some people might find that very difficult if we reflect on the start of Joe's career with 12-hour shifts on site plus a commute plus actually you know, doing the usual stuff we have to do like feeding ourselves chores and food shops um, there's a lot a lack of time in the day um, but I'd really encourage even just taking those breaks in work to just sit peacefully even if it's just 10 minutes um, we've touched it with Carlo in episode 3 I think it was about how kind of mindful walking use your commute to to bring in some of the meditation it doesn't have to be sat it could be walking and so it's fitting all these positive things around a routine that works for you um, and that might need a conversation with your boss so that you can fit that into your day so it might be instead of having an hour's lunch break you have a half an hour lunch break and two 15 minute breaks morning and afternoon just to fit in a bit more more kind of break time from the workload so there are ways to do it but um, we very much are creatures of habit so it's fitting in these kind of good practices around everything else we do. Yeah, absolutely. Can I just pick up on that you said there, um, Louise, because the the thing about, um, well, you're fitting it around your routine, I find very important, because there are certain things, like, for instance, if you still are working um, a 7 till 7 day or something like that, you really can't change that. You may be able to find a bit of space to you know, sit down in some fresh air for a while, but you're not going to be able to change, you're not going to be able to carve an hour out of your lunch break, for instance, if you've got a concrete pour that day, um, to go and to go and um, do some exercise. But what, what you can do is, you know, have a bit of time in the evenings and things. And I, I think some people get, um, you know, you just, I, I think for me, actually, I've read books and things that say about success habits of people who get up at 4 a.m. and, and do all these these incredible things with in the early hours of the morning, and I don't think that the average person really needs all of that. Um, I think that it's just about finding an an element of it that you can fit around the the pattern that you already have. And yeah, you can change an an extent of it. You're not going to be able to change a gross um, amount of. That, like you're not going to be able to cut down to four hours a day overnight um so um yeah having the having the ability to just to look at it and say what can i change within the situation that i have is is quite a powerful thing and that's where you can become a bit more more positive more proactive about um about making those changes yeah and i think you can you can absolutely start small it doesn't have to be oh, I've got to get up and go for an hour run every morning. Or you can start with something as small as, oh, I'm actually going to make sure that I, you know, stand up more often or I go for a 15-minute walk. It can be tiny things that, that build up into, I guess, more regular habits. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I've, I've vouched for anything that is around providing structure and something that we can, you know, hang on to and, and frame our lives around, which helps our, our own mindsets. Lucy, do you have anything to add around the habits piece um, or indeed sort of reframing how we think? I think that internal narrative bit is so, is so strong for me. You know, I think um, one, of the, one of the things that I realised coming through my 20s was that I had I'd gone from not having a very positive internal narrative about myself, um, probably being like very academic. So my narrative was, you know, I get results. And there wasn't a lot more that went around that, you know. Mm. So I think that something that we need to really watch for as we get um, consumed by our careers is that we're encouraging each other to build positive 
internal narratives that are based upon a number of things that you have in your life, um, such that if you have a setback in one of those things, it isn't, um, it, it, you know, it doesn't create this um, wider crisis uh, that you can have if that is the only thing that you are driven about. I mean, you say this in like elite athletes that then stop, uh, you know, being um, elite at that athleticism. And, um, you know, once they're not uh, doing, you know, that particular sport anymore or achieving those results, you know, they, they can go into quite a rapid decline. So I think that encouraging people to build this internal narrative that's got lots of different aspects to it, you know, I'm good at this and I'm good at that and I'm learning this, you know, and I'm trying to get better at that. Um, as long as we're not stretching ourselves too far is important. I think there's also a bit of realism about it. I hear a lot of this, you know, fake it till you make it stuff about, you know, having a positive internal narrative that, you know, you can do anything. And I think making sure that we don't set ourselves up to fail by having, you know, really unrealistic um, aspirations that, you know, nobody could, uh, could you know, improve towards. I think... Um, I think particularly in this era of social media and, you know, bringing up our teenagers and things like that, it's it's important to, you know, believe you can get better, but have a realism about what you're, how you are setting your goals and the time that it's going to take you to get there. Yeah, that's really great points. I like the balance sort of between that, you know, your ambition, your aspiration and reality and making sure that, you know, realism is, is central to the, the positive affirmations that we can give ourselves. So Joe, now present day, the cycle continuing potentially again, and now you find yourself in, or when you do find yourself in a stressful working environment and your workload is becoming very intense, do you still do all of these things or are there certain things that you use to remind yourself, you know, oh, this is what I need to be doing? Have you got a plan in place or... A way that you approach this now? I, I think it's happened to me enough. I've had enough cycles of it now to um, to observe and to learn. Um, and I think it's not necessarily easy for um, easy to learn. Mm. You have to go through it enough times um, to understand it, and that can be a, a quite painful. But now, um, I the, I normally because of the the practices that I've, I've developed over through through yoga and things, I'm actually much more aware of physical triggers. Um, so the first thing that I notice is um, whether my whether I'm feeling physically quite tight. Um, like um, the one thing around um, how the body reacts to stress is the um, is when you get an injection of cortisol. Um, but from from the from the stress trigger, suddenly a lot of your muscles become very tight, um, and that having you know practiced yoga and things that that becomes very clear to me. I can sense that my shoulders are hunching, and I can sense that my posture's starting to droop. I can sense that, and it and it affects it affects all parts of you. Know, like my jaw gets tight. There's lots of those kind of physical triggers, and and being aware of those, normally I can start to say okay these aren't going away at the end of the day um i'm still sleeping with it and i wake up with it the next morning and i'm still feeling a bit like all these kind of run down feelings 
Um, I'm also slightly fortunate in a way that um, as part of the, the jaw thing, I have, um, I have a wisdom tooth that occasionally um, comes out to play when um, when I'm feeling a bit run down. So if I start getting feeling my gum receding and getting a headache, actually that's a sign that I'm stressed. Um, and so with, with those physical triggers, I can normally start to um, take stock of everything that's happening and say, what can I control? What can't I control? Can I reduce my workload here? Can I put something on social media uh, that I've become a bit addicted to um, using LinkedIn late into the night, for instance? And I know this, uh, this podcast will be um, aired on um, LinkedIn at some point, but um, I've actually had to cut down my usage of that in the past few few months. There's so much of that idealism um, plastered on these kind of platforms that it it does affect the way that you perceive yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just that one thing of well, what can I do? What can I remove from my current life that is Know, that will readdress the balance and will enable me to have more time for myself and understanding you know how I need to change and how I need to feel better we've mentioned this before the physical manifestation of stress is so underestimated and it was really interesting what you're saying that you know for example that you're, you can feel a wisdom tooth comes out and it's more painful you know we never normally associate that previously with stress we just think oh you know my wisdom tooth's playing up but the physical manifestation of this is so profound in so many people um and also it actually manifests itself in so many different ways that we don't recognize at first so yeah thank you for um sharing kind of about the cycle louise or lucy is there anything sort of you want to add about you know finding yourself in this sort of in the downward side of the cycle now and picking yourself back up through that or understanding what you need to change to get through that i guess it's just recognizing those small changes so like we've said at various points it's not going to suddenly happen overnight a lot of this will be a build-up over time um and it might be a change in your behavior so it might be that right joe said he used to run and then he stopped running and that might be because an environment thing or it might be because you feel like you just don't want to and if you start noticing that you're stopping doing things you like maybe becoming less social maybe getting more of a i don't want to go to work feeling um there's small trigger points like that that you might be able to start recognising that actually something needs to change. And at that point, you can track back and go, right, well, why, why is that changed? So it might be something as simple as I'm a runner, but, you know, if a winter is pouring with rain and I really don't feel like it, that's very different to I don't feel like it because just mentally I'm not there. Mm. Um, so it's recognising these small things and then seeking support and that doesn't have to be professional support, it could just be telling a partner, telling a friend, look I've, I've gotten a bit of a slump, bit of a rut, not really sure what to do about it and then someone can kind of work it through with you and it doesn't have to be professional help but if you do feel like you're at the stage where professional help will work then that's available out there for you as well and I know we have some links on our website as well that can kind of help point you in the right direction if you are feeling that might be the direction you want to go in. I guess in terms of us learning from these conversations and making sure that, yeah, it is a bump in the road rather than a crevasse. It's also about us as individuals understanding the support we can give to others because that support system piece is so powerful and that's a way that people get through it and get out the other side. 
and there's you know if those elements come together then I guess there's there's no bounds with what we can do in terms of changing not only the opinions about mental health but also how people are are dealing with it um, and it would be great to make such a big impact on mental health and particularly in in our industry to see that you know come to fruition so Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it was so interesting hearing your story and it, I'm sure it'll resonate with a lot of people. I particularly you know, liked the point you raised about, yes, affirmations and using those to get through and change your mindset and also that rebooting. When you're coming from a stressful situation, you know, take time out to reboot. And I guess looking towards the future, there's, there's a lot of different things that we can now... Um, address and then identify that will help us through but it's okay if you hit a bump in the road and you know there are things that will help you get through it and it's just about understanding what that means for you and your environment and your relationship so yeah thank you so much for joining us today it was a really interesting conversation um and thank you all to our listeners so if you've enjoyed the conversation today or if you have any comments or feedback please remember to uh, rate review and subscribe and you can contact us at constructingmindsets at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening.